What's up, everybody? Welcome to another boardroom out of office. This is podcast number 25. I promised Gianni I wouldn't come up with an athlete who wore the jersey 25, so that game's over, G. Man, I'm glad because I don't have one. I don't, I don't have one either, bro. And I didn't even have one when we were at 23. Like, I was just failing. So, new game, new game, new vibe. And this podcast this week is a whole new vibe in itself. First of all, we got someone from the family. We got Eddie from the Etcetera's. What's up, my brother? What's going on, guys? Happy to talk to you guys always. Eddie's our podcast brother. Yeah, Eddie is, uh, for those who don't know, but I bet anyone listening to my show knows, probably just KD fans that were like, let me listen to his manager's show. So you know Eddie is KD's co-host and friend. And uh, another friend is with us today, my friend, Gianni. You know I'm obsessed with the trading card world. But I'm, I'm like newly in love. I'm like in honeymoon stage where our guest has been in this since he was eight, nine years old. He'll tell us. But uh, Eddie, you know how we got this boardroom breakers vertical. Well, our guest, Jason Kuntz, who's coming up in a second, has his own show. I'm sure you've seen the Kuntz Report. And not only are we not only we getting him on the pod, but he is recording the pod today. I geeked out a bit, bro. I geeked out. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> he, he is on the set of the Kuntz Report, so we might hear some crazy echo or something because the Kuntz Report set is actually uh, his gym, but I'll let him tell us about it. So without further ado, Eddie Gianni and all of our listeners, please welcome Jason Kuntz, entrepreneur, media mogul, I'll say it, fuck it, media mogul, and trading card empresario, Jason Koontz. What's up, my man? How are you? What's up, guys? I appreciate you having me on. Excited to be with you. So you know this is a special pod, bro. Like, we got Eddie on the pod with us. I heard, I heard. Yeah, Eddie, Eddie seems like he's, uh, he's, he's a legend, so I'm excited to uh, answer some questions from, this, from, from the legend himself. He actually, on Twitter, on Twitter he's, uh, he goes by Banksy Gonzalez. He's a fucking okay. star, a, mag- cool. a magnet for controversy. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got to tone it down, man. I don't get Kevin in trouble. I don't want to get you in trouble, Rich. No, no, no. I love it, man. I love it. The funny thing was I, I knew Eddie and I knew Banksy Gonzalez for like a year or two before I realized they were the same person. <laughs> and that happened to me at my last job and it was it was like a it was a thing one day. It's like, wait, that's you? And I'm like, oh, damn it. Am I gonna get fired? Like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I made it through. I made it through. <laughs> Jason, can I call you Koontz? Like, is it cool if I refer to you as Koontz? Oh, my friends call me Koontz, so absolutely. All right, perfect. So are you heavy? I mean, I, I've been watching you now um, out, like, obviously with the show you're doing with us. But are you heavy on social media outside of the trading car world? Like, are you aware of what's going on in, in music and in sports? Like, is it is it the Bible for you like it is for so many people of, like, our peers? Yeah, I mean, like on social i mean i'm breathing sports cards 24 7 like this is this is all i've done since i was eight years old you know like it it's been a long journey and like it didn't start off you know obviously i'm in a pretty good spot right now with you know being at the higher end of uh you know some of the 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 players in the card business but i mean this whole thing started off you know flipping 25 cent cards at, at card shows and you know and like kind of developed in what it is today but yeah i mean i'm uh yeah, I'm on social and and uh, yeah, like what's going on with cards right now is crazy, man. Like, I, I did not see this coming. Like, I I want to say I did, but you know, it, it's fun. It's it's been a fun couple of years. Um, 
you know, it's wild because, you know, 20 years ago, it was embarrassing, you know, like when someone's like, hey, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, oh, I buy and sell baseball cards. And they're like, that's <laughs> cute. But like, what do you do for money? You know, and and uh, so it's it's in the last couple of years, it's like people look up to like they're excited, like, oh, shit, man, you do baseball cards. That's awesome. And now it's just like a completely different um, transformation to how it's been for most of my life in this business. So it's exciting. It's exciting. So do me a favor for, for all of us. Set this stage. Tell us exactly what it is you do. And then let's actually, you know, talk about your your kind of journey to this point. Because everybody in this business now is saying, like, I collected as a kid. It's crazy. But you you really never stop. So, you know, give us a little bit of what your business is now and then, you know, how it got to this point. And then I know Eddie and, and Gianni want to ask a lot of shit about this, too, because they hear me so enmeshed in it but you know it's hard to explain to people just how big this has gotten and how absolutely i mean honestly i have the same story as everybody else as a kid like i'd go out and shovel snow for five ten hours to go to the local card shop and just dump all my money there because it was fun and but right around the time every all my friends were kind of starting to get into other stuff like i found out about card shows and card shows were a lot different than card shops because when you go into a card shop you have no control. It's like you versus the retail where when you're at a card show, you can hustle and flip and, and negotiate and all that stuff. So at like 12 or 13, I was going to these card shows instead when all my friends were doing other stuff. So that was the first time when I realized like in a weekend at 13, you know, I was making, you know, a few hundred bucks and you know, flipping stuff, which then, you know, 15, 16, it turned into go to a show for a weekend, make a couple thousand bucks. And then you get to like 18, 19, all of a sudden, you know, you can go to a show and make a lot of money in a weekend. So like, this was like, this was my path. Like I loved it. Um, I got, and it just snowballed since then. Like, but the big thing for me that a lot of people didn't believe in was the whole grading thing. And what's crazy about it now, like, you know, so PSA, as you know, is like the top authenticator now. Right. And it's a year wait to get your cards back. But I bought into this and in like probably 95 I'd be at a card show and PSA would come up to you and try to pitch you on why you should give them your cards. And every, you, you know, everyone's like, who the fuck are you? Like, what are you talking about? Like, we, what's this grading thing all about? And I kind of bought in really early. So I was one of the first guys who understood it and was like, I'm all in on this whole grading thing. So that really jump started me in the mid nineties, early nineties or late nineties to just kind of, um, you know, like that was a big, big deal to be in that, like at ground level. And obviously nowadays, everything has to be graded if you want to, you know, buy or sell it. So, um, yeah, just, and, and, you know, then, then the Sosa McGuire, I don't know if you guys remember the late nineties, like that whole thing, like that was just absolutely like took the hobby to a whole nother level or what I thought was a whole nother level. Like even then is, is nothing compared to what it is now, but at the time, it felt crazy. And then, you know, since then it's just gradually like more and more people have gotten in. But the thing about me is like, I've never veered off into everything else, anything else. It's been baseball cards, 15 hours a day for the last 25 years. So, you know, I've met a lot of interesting people, um, kept building up that business for a while. And then it came to a point like, you know, I play a lot of high stakes poker. So I met a lot of interesting people. So besides doing the, you know, the sports cards and whatnot, you know, I was meeting some athletes, you know, I was meeting, you know, a lot of higher wealth net, you know, some uh, 
you know, wealthier individuals. And I started to meet some people and I knew they're doing signings. They're doing Insta, you know, they're doing, you know, agent type shit. And, uh, I saw the opportunity there to jump in and I'm like, well, I, I know all these people and why don't I start doing some of that? So I started to get into the private signings and social media with some of these guys. And, and, uh, you know, so that's a different view of the business, but, um, my passion is totally hundred percent sports cards. And like the number one thing I, I can say about it is when you love what you do, it doesn't matter if it's Wednesday, Saturday, you know, like, I don't care. Like they're the same to me. And like, so the fact that I get up and get to just goof around with baseball cards all day and, and do well at it has been like such a blessing. And uh, I'm, I'm lucky to have chosen, you know, now I can call it a career path, which you know, like I said, 20 years ago, I was embarrassed to tell people uh, it was baseball cards. You know what I mean? Is that initial passion? Is it kind of like the rush of the flip? Because I, I hear you talking about that. And I I know I relate to that, you know, with like sneakers. When I first started collecting sneakers and whether it's like finding this rare shoe at a garage sale that these people don't know they have or something like that. And then and then later you're able to get rid of that or get that off. Is, is that where the passion is or is it like a passion for sports, a mix of it all? How does that come about for you? No, you, you hit it right on the head, dude. Like the passion for walking into a walking into a house to look at a collection and not knowing what you're walking into. You're like, you don't know if you're wasting your time. You don't know if you're walking into a half million dollar deal. So there's that, which is just, you know, such a rush, but also with the grading, like, you know, obviously there's a lot of gamble involved. So like, you know, I was cracking a lot of 1986 Fleer basketball, you know, paying 12, 15,000 a box. And, you know, at the time Jordan tens were 35,000. So if you hit a good, a good centered box, you might take 12 K and grade the stuff and turn it into 150,000. So like there was that rush too. So the grading rush, the buying the collections rush, even now, like, um, you know, I got, I got a lot of guys that answer all the collection calls and stuff, but like if to this day, if we still get a storage locker call and it's a $5,000 deal, like I'm going with it, I'm tearing the thing apart. Like I'm getting dirty. Like I'm searching, like I still have some, my guys are looking at me like, like Coots, what the hell are you doing? And like, I'm like, dude, you know, this is what, this is what I love. And you know, it's a little different now. Cause I got, you know, they clean everything up afterwards after I tear through it like a kid. But, you know, but uh, the love for that is that that that'll never go away. Like, I still get excited um, on, on those calls. And, you know, yeah, definitely like that. It's such a road. I mean, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about some of the different, you know, deals that I've had. And, you know, some of the, uh, you know, there, there's there's a lot of stuff that turns out to be nothing, too. But, you know, like it's yeah, like that. It's so much fun. I feel like you end up remembering not only the deals where you really strike gold, but the deals were like, I had that and then didn't know I had that and gave it away for nothing. And damn, look at it. Like I, I, those are the ones that stick with you too. It's like, man, I really should have, I really should have held onto my guns there. So for reference, you're not just talking baseball cards when you say baseball cards, right? That's covering the basketball, um, the basketball cards, which are like the hysteria now football, everything. Correct. So it's, yeah, it's funny you say that because like, as far as myself invested right now, I mean, I'm probably 80% basketball cards, but it's just like the generic term. Like I don't say sports cards. You just say baseball cards when really you mean baseball, football, even soccer now, uh, tennis, everything. 
But like, yeah, everything just gets looped in under the one term, but it should probably honestly switch to basketball cards because that's kind of the craze right now. Yeah. You know, it's funny when I was talking to you the first time and you were telling me a little bit about um, the first time we met, you were telling me a little bit about like the arc of your career and you got to the point you had just got to. You were talking about McGuire and Sosa and then all of a sudden you stopped and you went into something else. And I started thinking to myself, there must have been this period that even though you held on to cards and you were someone that stayed with the hobby, in order to really grow your business and make money and continue to collect, you probably had to go and generate other forms of income during that kind of low period. And you were a heavy fantasy, daily fantasy player. You were, as you said, a high stakes poker player. Um, that must go to like Eddie's point a bit about the rush and kind of the the quick, not quick money, but that adrenaline of flipping something and, and being in the moment and winning it. Uh, what, like was, was staying in the business, a competitive thing for you? Like, I'm not, I'm not going away from this. So I'm going to go and do fantasy and I'm going to gamble anything to keep this passion going. Yeah. I mean, like I'm an adrenaline junkie and obviously like the more at risk, the better, you know, the more exciting it is like fantasy early on. Like I was, I, I got really lucky with fantasy because I was like just spewing money the first year. And it turns out one of the top fantasy players in the world is also a card guy who I know. And at the 2012 national, he ran into me and he's like, dude, what are you doing? You're just pissing away money. So he took me under his wing in fantasy and like kind of explained to me, you know, the, the way of thinking of it. It's, it's, a you know, 99% of people in fantasy are losing players. So um, after working that out, it ended up turning into like a, a pretty successful side thing and you know it's a lot of fun but the, the money is great but just like in cards fantasy poker like you want to win like you want to be number one um i think that's just as important to me um as you know making the money I, even more important now like you know I'm, i've done pretty well so you know being at the top of the game is exciting winning fantasy tournaments winning poker tournaments like you know the rush is definitely the win and, and being at the top the top of the game but um yeah. And, and going back to, uh, you know, kind of the path, like after the, you know, the McGuire craze, uh, in early, like maybe 2003, 2004, uh, I get this crazy idea. I'm, I'm 23 years old. I've made a ton of money in cards. I think it's cool. I'm like, you know what? I want to say I'm retired. Like that sounds like the really cool thing to do. So I, I sell everything. I sell all my inventory for like o over eight figures. Okay. And after two or three months. Wait, wait, over eight figures, you said? Over eight figures, yeah. In 2003, <laughs> so 2003, everything you had collected. Yeah. Everything you had collected, you just sold it for eight figures and you were done. Yeah. Which card was the most valuable at that point? At the time, um, I had a lot of vintage. You know, it was just like at the Kobe stuff. I, I mean, just so, just quantity, you know. It wasn't like it is today. Like today you see these prices, it's like, 500,000, 600,000. Back then it was more like the five to 25,000 hour range. There weren't these like crazy, um, you know, like I said, a Jordan 10 was 35,000. Now it's 250,000. So it was quantity of stuff. And it was, it was different back then. Like, you know, Dante Culpepper SP authentic rookie was 10,000, <laughs> you know, now that card's 80 bucks. So it was just a different world back then. Um, so yeah, like, I don't know. I mean, just probably young and being dumb and 
you know, I was, I, I don't know. I thought it'd be cool to say I'm retired. So obviously after three months, I'm bored out of my mind. Um, and then I get the idea, Hey, Florida real estate's hot. So let's just take all this money and roll it into Florida real estate in 0506. And I end up losing 150% of my net worth. So, so I go in the hole. So I'm sitting there with like no bankroll, no nothing. And, uh, it took me a couple of years, but like I went back to what got me there and just started, you know, got a one bedroom apartment. The living room was my office and I didn't talk to anybody for like two years, like no girl, no nothing, just grinded 18 hours a day. And I remember going, I remember the day when I got, when I was officially broke again at like at $0 and like didn't owe any money somewhere in like Oh nine. And it was like the world was off my shoulders. And, um, you know, and then it just snowballed back up again, like it did. But the difference was I had all my connections this time. So um, the second come the second time around, it was, it was, a, it was a little bit easier, but it was, I look back and it was the most stressful point of my life. And now I'm realizing that was the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. So uh, it's, it's kind of crazy. So like when you're in a really bad spot, things will get better. And uh, it, you know, like I, I was in such a bad spot and look back, like, like I said, I'm, I'm so glad it happened because it, uh, it makes everything it put, you know, in perspective now. What's the process of liquidating like that? Like how many cards are we talking? Like, what did you, what'd you have to do back then to do that, to even go through that? So, I mean, back then it was all, it was mostly eBay like it is today. There's a few auction houses, but like, I mean, I had all the good stuff, so it wasn't, it wasn't hard to sell, but, um, I mean, you're talking, you know, uh, it was a lot of shit. I mean, it was a, a full, like figure a 3,500 square foot office space of just like <laughs> racks of stuff. And, but it was, it was quantity. Like, um, you know, like tiger, like tiger woods, his upper deck card, you know, I can tell the story of when I cracked 7,000 cases, but like at one point I had 50,000 of those in stock. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Um, so then eBay just like press send and you checked your email and you had like a wire for eight figures. No, I mean, it, it was a course of, I mean, over a course of like a couple months, you sell or, you know, I just like, I was in full liquidation mode. Like, I don't know what it was, dude. I was just like checked out. Wait, hold on. So you had 50,000 of the same Tiger Woods card? The O one one upper deck. Yeah, we cracked so I had like seven or eight of my high school uh, friends at my house cracking 24-hour shifts. So we cracked 7,000 cases because it was just math, right? The cases yeah. were 175, and it just turned out to like, you know, you get so many PSA 10s, and it just like, so rather than do 10 of these, I was like, let's do as many as we can. So it ended up being like a little over 7,000 cases of this, of a, uh, of the 01 upper deck golf and <laughs> tiger, nuts, I mean, you man. remember you remember how hot tiger was like mm. that stuff was like gold. yeah hold on so wait so when you're in that position and you have all of the tiger woods cards that means you pretty much set the price of what that tiger woods card is worth because you you can guess you have the majority of them i did i did set the market you know i wouldn't you know i was wholesaling some to people but i said listen like this is what these these things are worth um, you know, if you start undercutting, you know, me, like, I'm not going to sell you anymore, but I mean, you'd be surprised. Like, I mean, there's a few guys that could absorb the market like that. Jordan Brady at the time tiger, but yeah, if it was like an, uh, you know, an offsuit guy, like there's no way the market could eat that up. But like, 
I, we forget how hot Tiger was. I mean, the guy was, yeah, at, you know, at Jordan level. So I was using this Tiger example as a way of understanding the value within the industry. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that's, uh, you know, it, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of those out there. Like that's something now. And I see people. I think the Tiger Upper Deck tens are over a thousand bucks right now, and like that's crazy to me because there's so many of them out there. Like I just. Yeah, I'm visualizing how many I had. Like we were cracking them in my basement, and if I, I wish I had an iPhone at the time. We had wrappers you could swim through. Like the wrappers were four feet off the ground, the entire basement you couldn't move around. Like it was, it, it was, it was special, man. Like it was one of the moments that I wish I would have taken pictures, but I didn't even think about it at the time. You know, if I would have had an iPhone, like there would be crazy videos and shit. Like it'd be, it'd be, it'd be fun. So. When you um, when you started collecting again, right? If I, I can't believe you sold your entire collection, but um, but not not that I can't believe you sold it. Like everybody from that generation sold it, but everybody got nothing back. Like you sold it, and and that was your life's passion. But so you're rebuilding. It took you a while, and the reality is, not till the pandemic did it really come to the heights it's at now. So you clearly um, you clearly believed in it long, right? And also it became something that I think as like you were building up your, your fantasy earnings and your poker earnings, were you collecting again? Like, all right, cool. This is something I love. Or did you really hold long? Like you believed in the business of this because the business of it now I'm learning week by week is staggering. I mean, it's, it's funny cause it's getting this incredible hype, but it's happening like at the same exact time as Bitcoin becoming completely mainstream. So it's like a little bit secondary, but in, in some ways, like it has the same volatility and in speed of growth. So did you believe in this as a business or did you just say like, you know what? I sold my whole collection. Let me, let me just, I'm doing everything now. Cause you made real money playing poker. I got to hear these stories later too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I didn't believe in it until like, I mean, I, I bought a lot of stuff, but I, I was always a flipper. Like I was buying deals. I was selling deals. It wasn't until probably 2015 that I realized I really think this is going to have, this is going to last a while and stuff's really, is still really cheap. So 2015, 2016, I started hoarding stuff and obviously COVID actually sped up. Um, I mean, I, I think it actually sped up about two or three years where we like, it, it actually hurt, hurt us in a way of like anybody who wanted to hoard product because um, it just gave us less of a window to buy. But I still think it's, I mean, prices are obviously crazier now than they were a year or two ago, but it's still so early. And the reason I say that is, is like, this is all supply and demand 101. And there, there hasn't been a lot of real buyers in our hobby. Like it's maybe been 20,000 real buyers over the past. When I say a real buyer, I mean, somebody that's willing to go to the sh a national and spend, you know, five, $10,000 on baseball cards. And I think that number is going to go, it's already gone up. Like it's probably gone 20,000 to a hundred thousand. But what happens when that number goes to a million, two million, three million, and all 3 million people want to own a Jordan rookie or all 3 million people want to own a LeBron Chrome 10 or a Durant Chrome 10. And, and most of these collectors are sickos. Like they don't want one, you know, they want five, 10, 50. So like, people see the pop reports on stuff and they get a little worried, but they're, they're not really thinking they're not, they're not making sense of it. Like the Jordan pop on a 10 is there's 320 of them. There might as well be zero. Like that's so low. When you think about millions of people coming in 
that are going to possibly want, obviously everybody can't afford a Jordan 10, but enough wealthy people will come in and like, that's going to be a million dollar car. It just is. It has to be. So COVID just sped up, you know, and gave people more time to realize what's going on. And, you know, cards are assets. Like someone told me the other day, price per pound sports cards are the most expensive asset in the world. What were the signs in the 2015 era that you saw that you, you kind of felt like the wave was going to come back around? What was it that you saw in the market that had you realizing that this was about to happen? Stuff was continuously slowly going up, not like what it is now, but there was way more buyers than sellers and more just, I just kept seeing people, you know, not like I said, not like they're flooding in now, but just more and more people kept coming in and, and, and the people's mind changed. Like it, it became real and people are truly looking at this as an asset class. And the, the really smart people saw that, you know, years earlier, but like I said, it, it's still, it's, it's not like we're too late on it, but it's just, it was just convincing people that baseball cards isn't, you know, some kid thing. It's, it's a real asset class of like, you know, when I hold, you know, a PSA graded card in my hand, I feel like I have liquid cash gold and like that's very powerful, you know, especially with COVID, you know, there was some scary times. So people want tangible assets. And I think that that got people thinking, I need to diversify a little bit out of this crazy stock market that goes all over the board for no apparent reason. You know, like I want to be able to control some of my destiny with, with my financial future. And like, even on CNBC a couple weeks ago, they literally listed four things, gold, Bitcoin, sports cards, Pokemon cards. It's crazy. Like that was the fourth in, in one category. So when you got sports cards being listed in the same category as gold, you got to take you got to take it serious. Yeah. So that, that's kind of where we're at right now. You know what, Eddie, I would say too, and, and I obviously didn't have any idea this was going to happen in 2015, but looking back at it, I think that's when the star power of NBA players truly transcended and i remember because we we've been in business with panini for 10 11 years but right around that time i saw um just the different variations of product they were putting into the market the demand on the signature cards how panini was looking at the rollout of it and i remember thinking like we were paying no attention to the value that was in front. Like we really had no understanding of what was going on outside of this was Kevin's a brand deal. He was signing cars and we had a good setup with Panini. But if I think about it now, that's really when, you know, the, the whole, you know, if you think about the Donald, um, the Donald Sterling incident, you know, as horrific as that was, it was clear as day that NBA players, you know, controlled what it was that, they wanted and what they needed and they started taking real ownership of what they wanted from their organizations and that these were partnerships and that's because the star power of these players had gone through the roof and I could imagine the collectors like they had held on to Mickey Mantles and Joe DiMaggio's like these were the biggest stars of this generation like you're holding on to the Michael Jordan rookie it's you're looking at it. it's LeBron James it's Kobe Bryant it's Kevin Durant and I think that really elevated it a lot and then the NBA obviously being a partner Panini and you started seeing how they intertwined a bit with what the NBA was doing I mean don't you think that like the level of stardom of these NBA guys Jason has a lot to do 
just with like, you know, you talk about holding the physical value of it. I mean, it's also because you're holding on to a piece of LeBron James, you're holding on to a piece of Michael Jordan. I mean, like I said, you know, there's funds that people are investing in now just to have a fragment of it. So, I mean, don't you think the level of stardom of these players really help catapult this too? Absolutely. And like when you hold a card in your hand, it's like, it's like artwork. It's artwork for, our, it's artwork for our generation. And like in 2015 too, I, I use that as like a starting point too, because it's almost like this perfect storm came together. The NBA is exploding. It's definitely the most popular sport. You have China, um, you know, like 10 years ago, you couldn't really, sh you know, sell a $20,000 car to China because of the shipping. All that's become a lot easier. So like the world's shrinking. So now you have all these like basketball fans in China that are collecting like, and then you now have this age group you know, starting to make some money that we're collecting as kids that are now getting back into it that have disposable income and they're looking for other ways to invest. The NBA is exploding. Everybody, I mean, the NBA is so star heavy right now. It's crazy. Like, you know, like every team has a star. So, um, you know, no matter where you live, like you have, you know, you live in Milwaukee, like, you know, Milwaukee's never had a star for a while. Like now they have one of the greatest players in the you know, in the NBA and Giannis so you can like, you know, go nuts on and buying Giannis cards. But, you know, like these, these young kids are buying back their childhood passion. They have money now, you know, nobody gives a shit about coins or stamps anymore. You know, it's sports cards is like at the top of the list. You know, do you know, I always ask that, like, do you know anybody that collects coins or stamps anymore? They're all dead. Yeah, exactly. So those, <laughs> that those, the coin and stamp collectors are dying off. And baseball card, Pokemon, all this, they're all getting older. They're like, they're starting to dump money into this. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's, it, it's just, it's just a generational shift. Like the culture that, that comes with it. I mean, it, it, like the future is just, I'm, ex I'm excited. It's so early. That's fascinating to me. Like the real world effects on this, on this market. And as somebody who's just watching from the outside in, like, I don't know, G. Maybe you can relate. I'm just like trading cards, but it what you mentioned, what you mentioned, what you mentioned, Rich is like it makes sense, and it's kind of like why didn't I think of that? Like, of course, the, we have some of the biggest stars this sport has ever seen, and, and 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 then like you said, you know, the world is shrinking. It's easier to ship things. It's easier to to make these markets and and keep them fluid. Like that's that's amazing to me. It's like fascinating to watch from the outside in. And you know, you know what I think is really cool is it feels like there's so many entry points now because there's. A, a population of, of trading card um, of the trading card industry, which is dealing in the volatility of these players night in and night out, you know, like as if you were trading stocks in Robin hood and you're literally, Oh shit, Luca had 36, 14 and eight and the card source the next day. And <laughs> yeah. there is truly that process of it. Then there's people that are coming into the business now from the private equity space that are saying, you know what? Oh shit. I could just buy in at the top, right? Then there's the people, at least from what I've seen, like you, Jason, that check every box. You you built your collection, you have the pedigree, you have the business know-how, you built the foundation, and then people like you are soaring in this. But you know, it must be also odd for a lot of you guys to see like 16-year-old kids and 20-year-old kids and celebrities popping up 
doing live breaks and making all this fast money, like you said, you the pandemic sped it up. It's like the industry almost had to brace itself for some of it, and now it's a gold rush of sorts. Don't you? I mean, don't you sometimes have to get a bit annoyed by people like myself that are just jumping into the industry <laughs> right now? No, it's it's good. I, we we welcome everybody, but like talking about the box breaking and all this stuff, like we haven't even hit on like the key, one of the biggest keys to all this stuff, and it's it's gambling. And the fact that it's so much more accepted now, public, you know, than it was just a couple of years ago and definitely 10 years ago. But like the fact when you said Luca, you know, Luca has a big game, like, you know, Luca cards will, will, will literally go up instantly that night. So, you know, and you can speculate on, on, on younger rookies. And then if you want your, you know, your, your safer LeBron James or, or Jordan, but you know, so many people are gambling and speculating on these modern rookies and like that's that's really become a massive hype in this business too like not just cracking wax and you know and gambling that way but you know like i'm a degenerate you know like we're all de- we're all degenerates right i mean I, <laughs> i'm not I've a taken, degenerate i take i take big <laughs> shots i want to hear about the gambling jason coons a bit too man because I bet you tell us some crazy or the most crazy poker story or like your biggest winning ever. Tell us a good story. Don't tell us some shit you got wiped out in or something. Um, so the good, the one of the better stories is the the Bahamas two years ago. Uh, there was a twenty five thousand dollar tournament um, poker tournament. I end up I end up winning one point three million, and Ooh. and then and then I went we, I went to party on a boat. Turns out there's a massive game on a boat and I ran that up another, you know, a few hundred thousand on the boat, like after just winning that, like, um, you know, and and then I'm, I'm trying to stay away the last year or two. I'm really good at staying away from table games, but it's hard, man. Like when you, you hit a big poker score and you're walking around with 25 K chips, it's hard not to walk up to the black, you know, and just fire and, and try to, so and sport, I mean, even sports betting, like, you know, every Super Bowl, like I'm, I'm pretty heavy. Like I hit the Eagles. I put 240 on the Eagles uh, a couple of years ago, money line. I went to the game and like, you know, that makes it a little more exciting, but 240,000. Yeah. Money yeah. Line? yeah. What, what was it paying? It was, a, it was like a, it was a plus, uh, plus two, two fifteen or something. But I had, I mean, I have so many crazy bets, like, every, you know, every year, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna go six figures on the Super Bowl just for fun. But um, I used to be a degenerate sport. But I'm, I'm married with four kids now. I got to be a little more conservative. So um, in my 20s, I just fired like a sicko. Um, I'm definitely more like pick my spots and, and try to be, uh, you know, make smart moves rather than just bet every game on the board and and uh, you know do it for fun. But um, and like I said, that same thing with po- you know I'm trying to poker. Um, fantasy, like that gets the rush out of me where I don't need to go and sit at a table and, and fire and, and try to, you know, get lucky against the casino where you're basically drawing dead long-term. So, um, yeah, the, the Atlantis was a good, was a good trip. Um, any big DFS hits DFS daily fantasy. I, I, I have the worst fantasy beat in history. Um, the 2000, there's a hundred thousand dollar, uh, buy-in baseball i think it was 2014 
Um, it's for FanDuel. I'm winning the million dollars. Nobody can catch me. They're writing out the check, you know, end zone, my, my, my username for a million bucks. And then the game, it was Colorado Cincy, a water main breaks outside the stadium. So they need to pull everybody out of the stadium because the bathrooms weren't working. So they took all the players that I had in that game and reset the scores to zero. So I went from first place to 17th place. And uh, they said they, they needed to treat it as like a weather. So literally, like everyone's coming up to me, congratulating me on the million. I'm, I'm like, I'm geeked up. I'm in Vegas. We're celebrating. So a million went down to 35,000 in like 20 minutes. Damn, man. Like, dude, right there, writing the checkout, writing the, <sighs> like, the big cute check that they hand you. Yeah. And uh, the old water main excuse, bro. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think. I would bet a lot of money that it wasn't an accident. Let's put it that way. <laughs> it was the casino. Yeah, with that kind of money on board, I'm thinking someone someone went in and uh, busted one of those one, one of those water breaks. So that's just the gambler talking, bro. Nobody busted the water in a fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you been married? Because a gambler. Fantasy playing, poker playing, card collecting, like you need a ride or die. Like you need Yeah, that's quite a life. <laughs> yeah. Dude, my wife's a G. She I've been married since 2012. And this woman, she she says she doesn't want to know the number until the end because she can't handle the ups and downs. But she's cool. Like, I mean, she is it, well, like when I go to Vegas, if I tell her, I'm like, listen, babe. I lost a half a million. She'd look at me and she's like, did you do a bunch of hookers and blow? And I'm like, no. She's like, we're good. We're good. Oh, you know? my God. That, that, that's her. Uh. <laughs> Kutz, I still got some basic questions because I'm really new to this trading card space. So wait, Gianni, Gianni, let's pause on grading one second. I just have to say one thing about what this man just said, right? Because I want I wanted to just be clear that like you have a a real foundation and i and Gianni i promise you this Gianni and I, this happens a lot with us he might be mad at me i interrupted he was about to ask a great question and we're going to get to the question but i for your sake you aren't just flipping and running and and gambling you have built quite an infrastructure for your business and quite uh you know an operation right so do you have an entire staff that's working for you, right? And and you have the company Odia. Do you want to just tell me a little bit of what that structure is, and then let's talk about the grading thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. O Otia Sports. So I mean, yeah, I have nine guys that work for me. Um, it, everything now there's total structure. Like so, whether it's fantasy, whatever I'm doing, you know, I, like I may have said, like you know, I, I take a massive loss. I mean, obviously, like you know, over the past ten years, it's it's a massive upswing. But like in anything there's a roller coaster. Like you need to understand, especially in gambling, like there's going to be highs and lows and you just need to be able to weather the storm and, and not get, you know, don't press when you're down and like, just take breaks and chill and, and reset your mind and, and all that stuff. So um, yeah, like it's, it's, it's not like, but like, it doesn't affect me anymore. Like I have zero emotions when it comes to that stuff, like playing high stakes poker, uh, I mean, there's th certain thresholds that will, will get me, but like, you know, if, if I win or lose, you know, a couple hundred grand in a night, like it, it's, it's emotionless. Like it has to be, you can't, you can't let your you know, emotions get involved and, 
you know, and just know that you, when you make the right decisions, sometimes they're going to work out. And, and in the long run, if you make enough right decisions versus, you know, bad decisions, you're going to come out ahead. It's definitely a long-term play, but yeah, I mean, as far as the business goes, it's, it's basically, you know, fantasy poker, um, trading cards, private signings, public signings, social media for athletes um, and celebrities and stuff like that. But I've, and, and, and in that network, I've also, you know, I'm dealing with a lot of successful people that are, that are, that are, that are collecting and like, this is their escape from reality and they love it. So um, I keep meeting a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of really, really interesting, successful people. And like, I just have some, I've had some crazy moments where I'm like in a room with someone that's, you know, like for music, let's say uh, the, the top rapper, you know, rap artist in the world. Um, you know, I'm in his kitchen and, and we're just, there's crazy stuff going on. And like, he's asking me about baseball cards or memorabilia because it's his, his, it's his escape from reality. And it's just like, it's surreal sometimes, like just having a conversation about, you know, LeBron James, whatever. So yeah, it's a interesting world now. I, I can. That, that's a fascinating space to me. And I, I know Rich, I know you can relate, you know, coming up in music business, coming up in sports business, you know, you're bumping shoulders with these people, these legends, and you know, you're finding out they're regular. <laughs> We're all regular people, right? You're finding out how normal they can be in these spaces. But that must have been hard to navigate, like for both of you. I, I find myself doing that. Not necessarily hard, but it's just it's just an awkward space, or it can be. That must be surreal for a while, right? Yeah, I mean, I think. Um, and then Gianni, I promise you, we'll get to your grading. Yes, question. yes, of course, G. <laughs> <laughs> all good. I'm, I'm calm. I'm um, calm. I think for me, like, and uh, it's probably similar to you, Jason. Like, I didn't do very well in school, and um, but I always had like big aspirations. So it's not like I was just like a do nothing. I just had no time for school in my mind, but I wanted to as quickly as I could create business. And I knew that the way to get there was from the people that were in the positions I wanted to be in. So I kind of just was a bit fearless in the beginning of my career and just making sure that I positioned myself in the rooms or in the areas or the spaces that, you know, the people that I wanted to be like we're in, right? And when you're in New York City, you do get a certain level of access that you just don't get in other parts of the city. And I wasn't going to not utilize that. I wasn't going to not, you know, take advantage of that. You know, there are times where I've just felt like I never sold myself the right way, but just like anyone young at that point, you know, there's we don't know what we're selling yet, right? So I think that the one thing I always did though was I asked questions, I learned, um, from asking questions, I learned from asking questions that, you know, maybe other people be scared to ask. And I think that, you know, some of those people appreciate that. So going back to the whole school thing, man, like, so there was a sports show in LA. I live in Michigan. Every Wednesday, there was a big show in LA. So I would take a flight Tuesday night. I would skip school on Wednesday and then I would take the red eye home every almost every week i mean i was i was close to like not meeting the days like i mean you know there's a lot of shows on the weekends like uh, thursday night like i'm out like i ain't making it on friday like i was i was too busy hustling and like i'd work deals out with the teachers i mean like you know straight up like what's it cost me to get an a like here's here's whatever like damn you know (laughs) I, i was like grinding like school was fun for me i skated through and like you know i picked up some stuff but really like i was all about the business and grind but 
And then as far as like later on in life, dealing with the athletes and celebrities, like early on, I was, you'd be nervous. Like, like you said, you don't know, like, you don't want to say the wrong thing. And like, I realized these guys are just humans. And at some point I just didn't give a shit anymore where like I would speak my mind. And if, if they liked it, great. If they didn't like it, like I didn't really care anymore. And I had a lot of people come back to me and just say, Hey man, most people don't stand up for themselves. They just are like a yes, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Like, and they respect the fact I just had that recently. Like I went off on somebody cause he was being a dick and he called me the next day and apologized. And like, he's like, man, you stood up for yourself. Most people just like, tell me what I want to hear. And I was like, yeah, man, we're friends. Like, I'm not going to pull that shit. Like, so I, I don't want to be friends with somebody that's like, just going to, you know, play that role and walk up. It takes a while to get to that though. Cause most people, you know, they're like struck, you know, I was starstruck in the beginning, you know, eight, nine, 10 years ago, dealing with some of these, you know, wealthier, you know, you know, celebrity type figures. So I think that I've been inspired by people that are the best at what they do. And I don't really care what it is. It's a chef. It's a dancer. It's a banker. And I always felt that way. Any one of my parents, friends that I knew was professor at a college, something I thought was prestigious. I just thought that was dope. And, you know, for me, that's, I always say to Gianni, like what I craved was not money, even though I do like making money because it comes with uh, success. And the reason I like success is because I do uh, crave a feeling of regard. And I, and, and I think that's way different than like wanting to be famous. I use that word all the time because for me, that's all I really craved as a kid. And that's why I like flip-flop things that I wanted to do so much. Cause I was like, well, what's the quickest route there? Ultimately, there's no quick route there, but when you're around Jimmy Iovine or you're around Bob Iger or you're around uh, Susan Wojcicki, you're around people that are running companies of hundreds of thousands of people and women that have made billion-dollar enterprises or women that are running foundations uh, and, and helping people around the world, and you're sitting there like looking at what did, what did they do to get to their place in their career and what is it that they did to get to the point where they're so highly regarded. Like I remember going to galas early or foundation things I had to do in my like dog days of work, like networking and shit and sitting there and just like, I didn't care what someone was being honored for. I would just sit there and be like, how they put so much work in to get honored for something or did so much good that, you know, and then that's how I always felt around athletes. And, and now you know that from being so close with Kevin and I'm sure other people in the league is, you know, something I've been able to see firsthand for a long time now, which is the work ethic is off the charts. And it's not even like out of the movie, like it's not having to be in the gym and or having the like Rocky music over the video. It's more the every single day, like we get mad. Think about how people are acting about Kyrie right now. How many weeks off, how many weeks off from work you taking in your life? Like a lot, <laughs> every fucking entrepreneur, everybody. So, you know, for me, it's like, you know, I, I mean, I, I think it was just, it was always that it was always that it was like, I love being around greatness. It's inspiring. Like you're on this earth and you know, you do have to, you know, and I'll say this to you, Jason, also, because you've obviously made a lot of money. Like, I believe that, like, some people don't care about their profession and some people look at their profession as a means to eat and take care of their family. And I respect that wholeheartedly. And some people are driven by their profession fully, 1000%. And some people are driven by giving money away. And I think that all three of those scenarios, you should be giving money away and helping every penny, cent, your time, whatever it is, right? So that's something that I'm passionate about. 
Um, but regard in, in this world while you're here, like, right? Like what else, what else do you do it for, man? So I, Jason, are you giving, are you philanthropic, bro? Please tell me you're giving money away too. Uh, I mean, I, I don't like to talk about it. Like I don't need credit for it, but like, yeah, we, I, yeah, I do. I love that. I love that. That's good. Okay. I mean, you don't need, I, I respect that. I, I respect that. I, I just, I knew the answer to it. I just, you know, I think it's, I think it's dope that like, people like you and people like, you know, a lot of the entrepreneurs that I'm seeing that are successful. And I think athletes have inspired a lot of these entrepreneurs, to be honest with you, in a lot of the giving that they do. But you see how much, you know, how much time and effort and focus is being put on giving money away. Yeah, recently, I did just just a decent amount to the Barstool Fund, just because like, I, might, I just want to give it a plug just because of what they're doing, man, like helping people that are really, really struggling with their businesses that, you know, like that was a good one lately, but I mean, everything like throughout the summer, like every day I get hit, like, and I just have a budget for like every, they're, they're doing the golf outing, raising charity. Like I literally just get, when I was signing with somebody, I'll frame up an extra 50 things of this guy, this guy. And like, I just have it in a, you know, little warehouse spot. Like, Hey, I need stuff for our, our charity. Like, yep. Go come pick out a few things like, you know, and, and hopefully it, you know, it does well, but yeah. I mean, and then to go back on your last part, like, what I've learned, and it almost pisses me off now when people, like they did, like you, you, whether it's a mu musician, a business person, an athlete, they'll say something like, "Man, they got really lucky to get there," and these people have no no clue the work ethic it takes. <laughs> you know, like someone, uh, I was talking to someone, they were talking about like J Lo, like how lucky J Lo, and I'm like, you got, you just have no idea what a like, thirty years of just like insane work ethic. And, and most people don't understand it or see they they just see the fame and they think, oh, they were in a lucky spot and got there. And, you know, it's hard to appreciate it until, you know, you've really been in that grind of, you know, 18 hours a day, you know, putting in, you know, when people say a 60 hour work work week, I'm like, I call that Monday to Thursday, you know, <laughs> I was just laughing with Kevin about some moves he did on the court. And it's like, yo, just because you you make it look easy. I know you working on that shit. I know that shit took. You know, th there's a reason why you can hit that jumper off the curl so smooth, and it's because you've been doing it for 20 years. You know what I mean? So, just because these people make it look easy doesn't mean it, it was easier. It happened overnight. So, yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. Gianni, I mean, the, <laughs> the whole the whole world wants to know the grading question, man. <laughs> I mean, it's just a basic question, but... Does, <laughs> A cart is a card's grade dependent upon the condition it's in. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, like that. Yeah. So the the main company PSA they grade the grade stuff on a one to ten scale, and it's all you know centering corners print. Um, you know, a lot of people think that if you pull a card right out of a pack that it's automatically a ten, and that's just not the case. Like the thing can get dinged, centering print. You know, especially the older older you get, like you could open a brand new pack of eighty six Fleur basketball. And the Jordan rookie might be a five or a six. So um, just because of in a brand new pack. Yeah. You could open brand, you know, brand new, a brand new pack. Obviously the, the more modern stuff is going to be nicer, but the vintage stuff, I mean, between the printing issues and the centering. Yeah. You, you know, like yeah. that, that's the issue is people just assume it's a 10 and it's not the case at all. A lot of times it's a five or a six, but um, yeah, it's, yeah. Condition based. And, and in terms of, determining the value P PSA or Panini or any of these card brands does any 
person or any company know exactly how many rookie cards there are of a person of a, you know like i'm trying to determine the value so psa has a population report of everything they've graded so like if you look at um lebron chromes for example like there's so they don't release the print runs but i've heard that the whole print run of lebron's is about 10,000 and there's 2,000 psa 10s in the pop report so there may be a few more that get graded over the next, you know, that haven't been, but you would think that's a card that's been around for 17 years. Most of the tens have probably been graded. There'll be a few more that trickle in. So maybe the final pop or pop ends out at like 22 or 2300. So yeah, you can get a really good idea of like when you're looking at supply and demand of, of what's available. I keep thinking of buying my son like random packs of cards and then remembering that he just tossed them somewhere. <laughs> and I'm like, man, what, who knows what was in there? <laughs> oh my God, Eddie! Eddie, you know what we used to do? We used to play. We used to when we were on um, when we were at bat with Kevin's basketball camps at Texas or Oklahoma City. Panini would send hundreds of boxes of cards, and we would like eight of us: Randy, me, Tony, Charlie. We would all, all of our whole group that was at these camps would hand out um, like a gin hand, like a poker hand. And then you would count three, two, one, point, and everyone throw down their point guard. Whoever had the best point guard took the point guard of your bunch. Shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center. And then you'd, whoever had the most won the hand. And then we would just throw the cards away. And these cards now that we were sitting there in those, that time, I mean, forget all the shit we knew as kids. We collected and, and everyone has their old stories, their fables. But yeah. like this was yesterday. I was throwing these cards away like that shit was nothing. So what we'll, what we'll do now is, you know, we'll open like a $10,000 box of Panini and we'll split it like four or five ways or a, a crazy box of National Treasure. And everybody will open the packs and we'll say whoever has the tallest player or whoever has the oldest player gets wins everything, gets everything. <laughs> so we, but we'll come up with crazy shit. Like, we'll, yeah. It, and I was doing that with uh, Gary V and I were doing that at the national two years ago. We're cracking like $10,000 box of national treasures. <laughs> he went like 15 and up. He sco- I mean, just crushed us all, scooped everything. Look at the shit grown men do when we get crazy, bored. man. <laughs> we, we gamble, we gamble. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, when I was, I always thought as a kid, though, like, or at least people told you, that's how stupid we were. That if a card was spelled wrong, or if like the box was off, people would think that was like the rare shit. The error cards, yeah. There's the only one, like the Frank Thomas 1990 tops, like no name card. Like that's a massive card in error. But yeah, in general, I mean, they're they're you got the Billy Ripken fuckface card, like that's a pretty cool card. <laughs> what the fuck is that? What is that, bro? So eighty nine Fleer, uh, the the bottom of his bat, his his uh, his teammates were messing with them for the photo shoot, and they took the bat and wrote fuckface on the bottom of the bat. So he's holding he's holding the bat up, and it says fuckface. So they had to, they had they had to edit that out. Um, but that's probably one of the coolest error cards. How much would that card be worth right now? 10 mint condition PSA 10. I think it tends a couple hundred bucks, which is cheap. Cause I think culturally, like I actually bought a hundred nines and just tucked them away like a year ago, just in case the thing ever blew up. Um, but my theory was everybody who was collecting back in the day remembers that card and they're all going to want one now. So, I mean, it's, it's funny. Like it's great. So yeah it's like the um the 
you know, there's a famous Mark Jackson card yeah. at Madison Square Garden when the Menendez brothers or one of the Menendez brothers are sitting courtside <laughs> while their their parent they had already committed their like gruesome murder of their parents and the cops mm-hmm. were investigating it they hadn't been arrested yet and they were just spending the money that they had inherited from their parents dying and were sitting on the floor at the Nick game yeah. and they're in the background of Mark Jackson's uh, like rookie card or one of his early Nick cards yeah they, they yeah they were they were both in the game overnight when that got which is crazy because that was like two years ago that card was 30 years old before that got discovered and the print run on those was millions so that card was like you know a penny and overnight it went from a penny to like 30 40 bucks gee i love when rich rich does this to you and kind of ages you do you know who the menendez brothers are oh shit do you both not know I know. Oh, when I'm, I age G, when I age G, when you age G, yeah. I mean, I feel I feel whack for this because I feel like this is a th- a New York thing that I <laughs> nah. should know as opposed to an age thing. <laughs> it's definitely not a New York thing, bro. Massive, uh, massive story when I was younger. The, the point is, these guys these guys murdered their parents, and two months later, they're chilling courtside <laughs> like no big deal, just blowing through the money. I mean, it's just like an epic story. I mean, it's sad, but it's crazy. Like, what the fuck, like. You know, no big deal. Like watching the next game, like enjoying life. Like, wow, just losing it. It's oh my god, he says <laughs> murdered their parents. <laughs> wow. Um, how much do you know about like? So Eddie and I d- are not in the NBA, but we are in that contingent of people that think we can talk basketball with any with any NBA player. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> and know the game at the highest level. Do you? Fancy yourself like a real knowledgeable sports fan. So, so do you? Do you believe that you like look at young players and take bets? Like, do you look at a player, not a Zion or a Ja Morant, but can you look at the court and say, you know what, I'm going in on this guy. I'm betting. I'm buying his cards. Someone no one's talking about, or a, or a high school. I mean, or a college football player you're keeping your eye on and you're watching him. So as soon as he comes into the league. You're buying his cards, whether he's the first pick or not, that kind of thing. I do. But like, here's the thing. I, I don't really need to anymore. Like, I, I, I don't need to, like, take the crazy risks anymore. Like, I'm more just, like, slow and steady because, like, I'm in a good spot. But it's still fun to do. Like, I won't go as crazy as I used to. Like, I mean, I probably – I mean, here's one of my big, big, big fuck-ups. Um, when Brady – remember when Brady went down, like, 15 years ago. Yep. With ACO. Yeah. I went I went and spent like three or four hundred thousand on Matt Castle cards. Because <laughs> I thought it was a product of a system. Matt was gonna jump in and like I was gonna make millions off that. And obviously it didn't. <laughs> so I mean, even, even and I've been I've been right on a lot of them, but like that was a bad one. Andrew Luck was a really bad one. Um, kind of. I mean, if Andrew Luck ever came out of retirement, you could be sitting and holding a gold mine still. Yeah, like my Andrew Luck collection, my cost is like three fifty. It's probably worth twenty grand right now. If he came out of retirement, like that thing would go from twenty grand to five hundred grand overnight. What's the process of you buying cards like that? Like, I I want three hundred of these cards. How do I go about doing? It? Like, what's the process for you, not for me? <laughs> oh, so for for Andrew Luck was like years of every every single one that came to market we just bought like i have a team that's just buying like we we have certain stuff that we're buying 
And like when we want to accumulate, we just go crazy. Like we buy every one. We just, you know, we're at shows. We, we just box up every single one, whether I'm paying below market, market. If I have to pay a little bit above market and I can buy quantity and save some time. Like I just don't care because if the player hits, it doesn't matter. Like if you're buying a guy for a hundred bucks and you pay 110, 120, and like it ultimately the goal is for it to go to a thousand or 2000, like it's irrelevant whether you paid a hundred or 120. Like, so that's my thought process. Like I'm always willing to, you know, just, just go for it and, and, and really try to, to, you know, to clobber it. So, and we're talking, we're talking online at shows, stock X, wherever you can get them. It's like, yo, Everything. I need, I need stock of this. Can you guys get it together? Everything. Yeah. Like literally like we'll, we'll go through phases. where like, we're, we're banging everyone. And the other thing is, you know, you're, when you're buying everyone, you're pushing the market too. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, so yeah. But yeah, I, I like, I mean like Luca, I like Luca early on, like Luca, I remember buying Luca Prisms for, you know, 30 bucks. What does Prism mean? So Prism's the brand. Panini Prism, like, that's kind of like a staple rookie. So that card's like, that card's 1800 right now. Oh, shit. It was, <laughs> From 30 to 1800? It was 30, 30 bucks two years ago. Oh, my goodness. So there's like certain brands that have license with certain leagues, G. So like Panini has the license with the NBA. So within that, they'll make a prism set. They'll have signatures. They'll have different, you know, Panini got smart when we were kids, when um, Jason and I were, were in the 80s and 90s collecting cards, the trading card companies, like he said, were just like oversaturating the market, just putting it out for no reason. And kids are buying them, selling them, throwing them away. And then we thought these like sets we held on to had value, but they don't. So now these companies have been hip to it. Um, and I'm sure like... Did you, I mean, like, did you, did you see that shift? Like when did, when did at least the card companies get hip? Cause I'm actually thinking about it now as I'm telling that to G because it got mainstream now, but the paninis of the world, these card companies stopped overprinting this shit and started getting a bit more strategic in it. When like 10 years ago, kind of. Yeah. They learned their lesson and you know, they, when they started doing numbered cards, like that changed everything because there was a finite amount, you know, they, and you know, they would have, whether the card was numbered, you know, serial numbered one of a hundred, two of a hundred, three of a hundred, you know, you know, like there's not millions of them out there, but yeah, they killed it. Like in the late, not in the late eighties, they would literally, there's millions like Griffey, Don Ross Griffey, like there's millions of them around. Everybody has the shit. So yeah, like they know, they know exactly what they did wrong. And just, you know, talking with them now, they're totally aware of it. Like, like they know that to keep this thing afloat, like they need to control the supply. So they're not going to just do some crazy release and, and pump out millions of a product. Like, I think they come up with a set, you know, they were reprinting too, like, up, you know, 89 upper deck, like the Griffey cards, like they were still printing those in past 89. So uh yeah i mean if you you know in 95 if you if you were going to pay the right money for a thousand count of griffey upper decks like you could get you could get a fresh print run which is which is pretty pretty fraudulent pretty uh pretty shady and all that above but so they've learned from those mistakes they're definitely aware of the supply so um yeah they print a finite amount of it and then they move on like that that's it all right. Well, listen, man. Uh, I, I like to I like to figure out how sports has impacted so many different business and so many different walks of life. And you know, I think the cool thing about 
uh, a boardroom brand and, and this pod out of office and is like it every conversation we keep rooted in sports in some way and you see the impact it has um, and even this you know trading cards came from you know obviously your love of business and the rush of it but all of that also probably came from your like first love which was sports and the rush you got from that and I think it's incredible that you stuck with it that you were able to go through that like peak and valley um, which you know is is a seamless I mean which is a consistent quality in almost every entrepreneur and successful businessman businesswoman athlete we spoke to obviously you're going to have that dip and I think it's incredible and it it's you deserve now to really like um benefit from this craze because you stuck with this industry and I'm excited about the show we're working on the Koontz report on the boardroom breakers um obviously Eddie I'm excited you joined out of office you know I'm Jason I appreciate you being like the almost like the first guest of this new version of the out of office where the Eddie jumps in and brings the et cetera's flavor to uh, our conversation. So I appreciate you joining us, man. We got a lot of business to continue to do together. Uh, give your wife a hug. Cause she's a real one. Like we said, for sticking with you, bro. OD man. Shout out to her. Shout out to her. <laughs> um, and, and I'm glad I got to see the set of the Koontz report, man. So let's, um, Let's catch up soon, stay safe and healthy. And, you know, I think it's amazing the journey you've taken. So I'm looking forward to, to being a part of this next, this next chapter, man. So Absolutely, man. I appreciate you having me on very much so. All right, bro. Speak to you soon. Eddie? My guys. Have a good one, guys. Bye, guys. Later, bro. Later, Peace. fellas.